The indie author revolution has been around for more than a decade, but we indies continue to push the boundaries of what we're capable of. From getting over initial prejudices to staring down perfectionism and author imposter syndrome, we've become a force to reckon with. Indie authors now wear more hats than ever as we strive to create a career full of meaning, prosperity, and potential. We've juggled the demands and continue to be rebels in the face of adversity. Now, after years of hearing the shouts of hustle and grind, we indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop, and in its place are the seeds of a better way to rapid release. A way that feels incredible as we build a sustainable, lifelong author career that not only increases our visibility and royalties, but it's all done with intention and ease. If you're ready to buck the system and become the visionary authorpreneur I know you're meant to be, you've come to the right place. I'm Carissa Andrews, international best-selling indie author, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Welcome back to the Author Revolution Podcast. Today's episode is going to be a real treat for those of you who have an interest in growing your wide audience. Today, I am chatting with Mark Leslie Lefebvre. Mark is the former director of self-publishing and author relations at Kobo. He literally designed Kobo Writing Life, the platform we authors use to publish direct with Kobo. And now he's the part-time director of business development at draft digital Mark originally came into my circle of influence thanks to a dear friend of mine, Liza Street. She's a wide author who every day inspires me to take my own author career wide and expand my reach further. Earlier this year, when I was moving some of my books wide, she recommended I join the Wide for the Win Facebook group and get a book by the same name, written by none other than, you guessed it, Mark. I have since read Wide for the Win, and I was super excited to chat with him about the book and the wide author mindset. I'm thrilled to be able to share my recent interview with him today. So let's get to it. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining the Author Revolution podcast. I'm super thrilled that you're here today to talk to my audience about being wide and who you are. So I've explained a little bit about your bio in the introduction and how I met you, but why don't you tell them out of your mouth who you are and what you do? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, my name is Mark Leslie Lefebvre, uh, and, and I've long been a writer uh, since, uh, since I was a kid, just wanted to tell stories. So I grew up um, just, you know, reading comic books and, and writing stories and, and um, typing my very first manuscripts on, a, oh, yes, in the old, I'm that old kids, on a manual typewriter, mailing them away to get rejected countless nice. times. Um, uh, I finally started, to, my very first uh, short story that I sold uh, was in a magazine uh, in 1992. And that was the, the same year I joined um, the book selling industry. I started as a part-time bookseller. It was temporary Christmas help. I got bit by the book bug. Uh, <laughs> I loved books my entire life. I'd been giant book nerd my entire life, but it's the worst working, place to be though yeah, when, you're, working, when you're a book yeah. lover and it's Christmas, just saying. <laughs> yeah. The book industry was like, whoa, you don't get paid very much at all, but I'm, it's like writing, Hey, you don't really make a lot of money in <laughs> traditional publishing. Uh, let, let's do this. Um, yeah. And so 90, 92 is when I started working in the book industry. And uh, also that's when I started to, I mean, I still accumulate rejections all the time, whether they're book bub rejections or publisher rejections, whatever. Um, but then, uh, you know, started to get my work published. I self-published my first book in 2004. 
before all the cool kids were doing it, uh, hid behind <laughs> the Stark imprint because I didn't want anyone to know I was doing it. It's okay. kind of like um, masturbating, right? Like people do it, but they don't publicly admit it. And <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then uh, I, I had the, the luxury. I was running a print-on-demand machine for a university bookstore I was working at. And um, authors were looking for help, you know, digitizing their books into print. But then I was helping them get set up with Kindle and Smashwords. And shortly after that, Kobo was looking to, mm -hmm. to create a self-publishing platform because they're getting into their back end with the Excel spreadsheets and FTP and stuff was just way beyond FTP. what most authors oh, could do. Yes. <laughs> so they hired me to create uh, Kobo Writing Life, the self-publishing platform. And then and that's when I really started to, to leverage what can I do to help other authors succeed this way. And, uh, and that's kind of where I've, I've landed. So uh, I'm a fully hybrid author in terms of I work with traditional publishers, I self-publish. Uh, and I also I love the fact that I continue to be able to help authors understand the business of writing and publishing. So that's, you know, that's my uh, 40 hour spiel in uh, in 10 minutes. I think that's awesome, though. For me, it's it, your take on things is is so enlightening. I mean, I've been around the industry for a while as well. And it, it's like I've always looked at wide and I've always been drawn to wide. And I've always tried to do wide. <laughs> it hasn't always worked well for me. And right. it's like, oh, because I used to now. OK, so admittedly, I have to, to say that, OK, you and I have both worked in bookstores. So that was where I started, too. Although I started in 94, I want to say, as a book, bookseller uh, back in like a local bookstore, ended up at Walden Books up in Duluth, Minnesota. We and um, so for me, it's like I've, I've always been around that book selling mindset and having the, you know, the tangible thing in the hand and <laughs> making placement. sure that my own are in, in that as well, but making sure when I'm reading it, it's also that way. So I can highlight and do things, but um, being in the, the wide space digitally, it, it was always, it felt kind of like you're throwing it out into the wild instead of the wide <laughs> and like, <laughs> who knows if anyone's actually going to look at this thing and what's happening. And, and so it's always been something that I want to grow, but I don't know how to do it effectively. And so I'm, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited that you're here because I suck at it. I need some help. <laughs> so, um, all right. So one of the questions I've got then for you is, do you think being in that idea or being in that industry of being a bookseller really helped you kind of grow your wide mentality? Like, did that always exist straight out the gate for you? Or was that something that kind of evolved because of Kobo and that whole interplay? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the big challenge, the reason I self-published in the first place is I was working in the book industry. So there I am, uh, a writer, dedicated. I knew that's all that I wanted to do uh, for my life was be a writer. And uh, and people would say, so you, you, you're a writer? And I'd say, yes, I'm a writer. And they'd say, well, where can I get your work? And I would say, well, if you drive across the Canadian border into upstate New York, uh, there's a bookshop uh, you'll get um, you get there and there's a magazine on the shelf, you know, circulation 500. Um, okay. but, oh, oh, it's September 2nd now. Oh, sorry, they took it off the shelf uh, August 31st. Sorry, you can't <laughs> find any of my writing anywhere, uh, which is why I self-published. So I think, yeah, I understood the business of publishing. When I first self-published, I made my book fully returnable. Uh, this is before Ingram Spark. I went direct okay. to Ingram Lightning Source, which you had to really understand publishing. Yep. And yeah. formatting and that like it's not wasn't as easy to use. Oh, for sure. And so, yeah, I think I think that working in the book industry, understanding why I mean, you you know this, um, the books have to pay rent. They can't just sit on the shelf and look nice. 
yep. you, you have to carry books that you know are going to sell. And if they don't sell, you return them because you only have so much inventory. So yep. from early on, I understood, yes, we love books. Yes, we're passionate about the product. However, what's really important is they're a commodity and people have to um, yeah, be able to sell them. So Mark, I was listening to one of your podcast episodes and I realized that for the past couple of episodes of my own, I have been saying your name incorrectly because apparently listening to other people say your name is not the same as listening to the person themselves say their name. So sorry about that. <laughs> Do you find you that you get this a little often? Uh, you're, you're in the majority. Uh, most people <laughs> okay. could never spell or pronounce Lefebvre, which is why um, I, I would never have published my books for writers under Mark Leslie Lefebvre, except for the fact that I built a name in the industry already. And I was recognized as, you know, that guy who had created Kobo Writing Life and, and all that yeah. stuff. Um, I, I was always writing all my fiction and, and some of my nonfiction um, is under Mark Leslie. So I use my middle name because most people, even if they go Leslie, they still <laughs> right. can spell it and, and find me. Yeah. And, and, and in the early days, it was so they could find my books in bookstore shelves. <laughs> right. Uh, but That's now right. it's like so they can type it into an online uh, you know, bookstore and find me right. quickly. So Lafave, I'd probably sell more books if I didn't use that. Name. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand. I have gotten I very adept being able to spell it. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Carissa, I, I've right. never been able to pronounce your name properly either. No, it's so. super weird. Like Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Andrews weird. is such a hard name. <laughs> I know, right? Hey, I picked that for the last name of the main character in my werewolf series. Nice, nice. Yeah, had to. Michael Andrews. Michael, easy to spell. Andrews, easy. You know, all wicked. Good. I like it. Yeah. I approve. <laughs> I also love no all of the uh, skulls behind you. By the way, that is really cool. Uh, yeah, thank you. That is part of the my my the author side of my brand. The scary stories and the, the freaky stuff. Same too. I mean, I some of it. I mean, with my this stuff, it's got more ghosts and I have a necromancer and whatnot yeah. coming into it. So secret legacy for those of you listening to the podcast. I forgot. I'm out. It's not just a video. Hello, guys. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. Okay. Um, but they're awesome. So if you have not uh, headed over to YouTube to check out these really cool skulls, I encourage you to do so because it's really, they're really awesome all over your shelves. Well, okay, so I'm really close friends with Liza Street, and she <laughs> has been on me to uh, reach out to you for quite a while. And so finally, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. I've, I've read all of Wide for the Win. I think I could actually talk to Mark <laughs> intelligently, maybe-ish. And uh, so let's have him uh, on the podcast. How do you think I should contact him? She's like, oh, I'm on this. <laughs> so she contacted you for me. And uh, so I'm very excited. Love her very much. In fact, I'll be talking with her later today. Liza, I'll send you the money later. Thank there you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but obviously the first thing she, I guess, sent my way of yours was Wide for the Wind. So again, I will promote the book, uh, which obviously I bought and then read. So for my audience, can you tell them a little bit? There you go. Right. Tell them, tell them what the book is all about and why they should get it <laughs> and why you chose to write it. <laughs> It's, uh, it's based on a movement uh, created by Aaron Wright, uh, the Facebook group of the same name. And, and the whole idea is that everywhere you go, 98% of the advice on how to sell ebooks and how to be a successful indie author is all about Amazon all the time. And, and Aaron had actually contacted me when, when she was first going to write a book by that name. Yep. Uh, and she had read Killing It on Kobo and like following the alliteration. She's like, hey, I want to do something similar, but help people with everywhere. Yep. Uh, and similarly, I didn't release Killing It on Kobo until I left Kobo. 
because it felt like it was like if I worked for Kobo, it was too much of a uh, conflict of interest or whatever. So, so I wrote Killing on Kobo the year uh, after I left Kobo because I wanted to help people with Kobo, even though I wasn't there helping people with Kobo directly anymore. Right. And so, yeah, so she followed the same motif just to want to help them everywhere. And then since then, I've continued to want to help people sell everywhere, not just at Kobo. That was part of, you know, wanting to, you know, Kobo Writing Life is hugely successful. Love the team there. Love Kobo still. That's where I read books. Uh, most of my eBooks are on uh, Kobo. Um, but then wanting to help them out elsewhere. And then when Erin realized she was better off um, writing her romance because her readers were were upset because she hadn't released <laughs> a new book in a while. So like, right. I got to go back to this thing that I make a living on. Right. <laughs> um, and so I said, well, can I can I use the name? So the whole concept of wide, and, and it comes from indie author community with publishing your ebooks exclusive to Amazon or publishing wide. Yeah. Um, now my wide is a, is a capital uh, letter uh, wide that yep. just goes beyond thinking about ebooks. It goes beyond being uh, open to traditional publishing, open to beyond books, open to all the ways that an author can leverage their IP. So what I tried to do is wanted to create a, a baseline a basis. And, and again, I thought it was going to be 200 pages. It ended up being 400 pages. And then I actually had to stop because I kept wanting to add more and more. And I'm like, no, I got if Cause that happened to Aaron. Yeah. She was working on the book and then working on the book and then things would change and she would add stuff. So yeah, I decided to change. Um, and this is uh, Joanna Penn gave me this advice when I was like, Joe, this is really frustrating because they change everything. The minute I write a chapter about this platform, they change something. So I shrunk down uh, the specifics of each platform. Right. And, and went more with uh, mindset. And I know, I know you want to talk a little bit more about mindset, but I thought sure. if I can help authors with mindset first and help them understand how to embrace wide, yes, I'll give them some specifics on how they can work with, you know, Barnes and Noble and Google and Apple and Kobo and, and the various, you know, dozens of other emerging platforms that they, they should be paying attention to. Right. I think that that was that's kind of the the, the wide for the win. That's that's it's it's meant to be a a baseline where you can read it and go, aha! He's not telling me exactly what to do here, here, and here. He's inspiring me to come up with my own brilliant genius ideas because I'm way smarter than him, anyways. That's what I hope <laughs> writers get out of it, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I don't know that that's the message I got out of the book, but all right. <laughs> I think the message I got out of the book was, oh, there's actually like truly a wide mindset. I mean, I think I've always used whenever my books have been wide, I've used the wide mindset where, you know, it just makes sense to me to make sure uh, I'm using a, a link that goes everywhere the books are, for instance, right. you know, the books to read link or whatever, or promoting if it's a special special promotion on say Kobo, promoting just the Kobo link. And so mm -hmm. that kind of mindset's always been there for me, I think. But understanding the long game of it, especially in the beginning as an indie and trying to figure yeah. out like, where, where is my market? Where are my readers trying to figure out what's happening? You know what I mean? It's like, there was a lot of, I think, and like you said, everybody out there is promoting uh, a lot of Amazon stuff. And so it's like the strategies are very specific to that. And so it throws a lot of indie authors off in the beginning as they're trying to figure out that strategy for themselves. Right. You know, and so your your book, I think, was really beneficial to me and like just understanding the the long term aspect of it and how to kind of play that all out without, I guess, freaking out over it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, going, hang on, I, I've sold like 
four books this month, what, <laughs> you know, or whatever it might be, right. but you know what I mean? Especially in the beginning when you've got one or two books and you're, you're thinking, how do I, how do I build this platform? But yeah. okay. So, so like I said, I've always been in the industry. Well, not always, but a long time since 94, five myself. And like I said, it's, it's been a struggle to gain that traction being wide. And I've, I've had a lot of advice from mentors, even like paid mentors, that I look in, upon looking back, especially listening to your podcast, I go, geez, I wish I would have had a better mentor for this particular situation or whatever the, the case might be, um, you know, for wide or otherwise. So to s- set that record straight a little bit, what do you feel is the best thing that we indie authors could do to build that wide presence or wide mindset right off the bat? Um, uh, understand that it's a wide world, uh, pun fully <laughs> right. intended, uh, but it is a wide world and there's lots to learn. And just like you probably learned Amazon, uh, you know, you focused on Amazon and learned that because it's the world's biggest bookstore. One of the things I recommend is maybe you're not going to get it all at once. You're not going to understand it all. No. You can't uh, run before you can walk. So uh, take baby steps, uh, maybe pick a platform that's pertinent to you. Maybe it's a platform you you like, like it, maybe if you don't read on Kindle, like do you read on another platform? Try, try actually reading uh, or embracing that place as a, as a reader and see what the reader experience is so you can fully understand that. Most authors is just, they think Amazon's the, the start and end of everything. And it's not. There are countries where Amazon doesn't exist, but um, Apple and Kobo and Google and Smashwords as a, as a retail uh, environment exist and have for a long, long time. And so I think that's one of the issues. The other thing I think, and this is, uh, and it's related to, I think when we were chatting earlier, I think you had mentioned this is, you know, a lot of people, they publish their books wide and they just put their books up wide and they're like, okay, it's someone else's responsibility. I'm going to go, you know, do something else. And yet those same authors publish to Amazon and then invest hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars into Amazon ads every month. And go, well, I invested $20,000 in Amazon ads and I made $30,000 on Amazon this month, but I only made $5 on Kobo. Well, um, did you promote it? Because Amazon certainly isn't promoting your book for you. You're doing all the work. You're paying them to play. Why wouldn't you do the same things with the other platforms? Burns and Noble has direct publishing opportunities. Kobo has the same thing. Google has launched some really cool DIY promotional opportunities, even though they're a lot more algorithmic based. So I think um, taking the time to learn at least one of them first, getting comfortable with it, doing some tests, doing some experimentation, a book bub ads, you can target your own website. You can target um, a specific retailer if you want to try focusing on that. You can do the same thing with Facebook ads as well. It doesn't always have to be all Amazon all the time. So I think, right. I think starting off with that understanding can probably help authors go, okay, I'm, you mean, I'm not going to get it all at once. So I'm not going to be successful on all the platforms immediately. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah. I think a lot of people think, okay, well, Amazon has a native uh, ad platform where none of the other ones do at the moment. And so right. therefore it must be the best one because it gives you that built-in thing, but that didn't always exist either. Oh, so it works hundred percent of the time for Amazon. Right. Absolutely. Especially <laughs> so we'll when you take your money hundred percent of the time. They've made it as convoluted as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of screwing yourself up unless you take some really in-depth courses. 
but it's created a great cottage industry. There's a lot of authors making a lot of good money selling how to sell Amazon ads. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. It's genius. It's genius <laughs> for these brilliant folks who figured it out and are trying to help others. Right. Cause it's such a pain. <laughs> okay. So now we talked about, we touched on the wide mindset. So for you, what does the wide mindset truly look like? Like if they're brand new, fresh out of the gate and they're trying to decide, do they go Amazon exclusive or do they take on the wide mindset? Like what, what would you say differentiates that? Well, uh, I mean, every author has the, their own decisions to make and their own, uh, I, I would say, do what feels right for you uh, with your comfort level. And, and again, understanding that it's, it's hard to know everything at once. So of course, you're probably going to default to picking the world's biggest bookstore first, because the, the, the best return on your time investment initially, even if you do no promotion whatsoever, right? You're, you're right. going to be broadly available in the major English language <laughs> territories. <laughs> but I think what I want authors to understand is um, just like, because I've been, and, and you worked in traditional book selling, is we had to learn that a, a book is not 300 pages bound between two pieces of cloth. An ebook opened up new possibilities. And we are only at the beginning of a, of a long-term revolution in publishing. I'm, I'm reading a really thick, wonderful academic book called Book Wars. It's actually oh. take about the book industry by, yeah. I think it's John Thompson is the uh, author. Okay. Um, and and it's fascinating to go back as far as 2006 and remember, oh my God, yeah, that's when Sony actually revolutionized e-ink reading on an e-ink reader a year before Kindle showed up, right? And all of these, because I remember when uh, Stephen King launched an e-book in 1999, 2000, and it was only available. There wasn't even an e-book or e-pub format. It was just this online reading experience. Okay. And, um, you know, King only sold, what, 50,000 or 60,000. Uh, you know, it's, the average author like, what? 60,000? I'll take it. I'll <laughs> right, take those. only. <laughs> um, but, I, I, you know, I, to me, that feels like ancient history. But I have to remember that's, that's new. And yeah. so going back to the wide mindset is remembering that we had a book industry for 500 years that was initiated when Gutenberg, you know, movable type and the printing press. And it really in the last 25 years has probably seen more dramatic changes than ever before in the history of publishing. And we're only at the beginning of the possibility and opportunities where digital opportunities are going to allow storytellers to tell stories to audiences that want to receive their stories. And you'll notice I say storytelling and tell stories and share stories. I'm yep. not saying specifically print books and eBooks and audio books. You've those been talking are, to Joanna are, Penn, haven't you? I can uh, tell. Those are, <laughs> But those are three of the three of the possibilities for storytellers. Right. You know, when you create an idea, and I'll give you a perfect example: is you know, I sold the rights to a traditional publisher, Haunted Hamilton, uh, by Mark Leslie, is a book of ghost stories of Hamilton, Ontario, city I was living in at the time. Cool. Now I licensed them all the rights. You know, in that, yay! I have a publisher. They're going to put my book in bookstores, right? And it's like here's here's all the rights. Yeah. You know, I've since learned uh, via Christine Catherine Rush. I'm like, no, I can. This is a negotiation. I can change the terms. Yeah. They would not uh, let me uh, keep my ebook rights because I could do a better job selling ebooks than they could ever dream. Um, but also uh, audiobook rights. They've never made audiobooks, but they want the rights. So even though they had the audiobook rights, when I was approached by Voice Map, uh, which is an, a GPS enabled app. I was able to create 
um, virtual walking tour because no, it wasn't the text of the book that I licensed to, to Dundurn and they still own. Right. It was the IP I created when I did reference research for yeah. the book. And yeah. so the same research that I used to write a chapter or two of the book, I was able to turn into a half hour walking tour um, and which I still sell to this day. So yes, even though I licensed the audio book rights, the audio rights and a different rights related to that um, research is completely mine to exploit. And so wide mindset is being open to the possibilities. Um, And and we don't even know the possibilities that are going to exist in the next three to five to 10 years. So being open to the possibilities allows you to properly exploit your IP in a way that you as a storyteller can find your audience and uh, get content to them. Right. Ideally, there will be an exchange of money that's going to you. <laughs> right. That's just part of the bigger process, I think. Yeah. Joanna and I were talking when she was on the podcast about like even audiobooks and, and AI generated audiobooks and how like the, the wide mindset is really you know powerful there too. Because when you have an AI generated audiobook, you can also have your person audiobook and yeah. you know all the rights that go along with all the different variations of all of that sort of thing. It's really interesting the way AI is coming into. Um, the industry and how that might, again, revolutionize the way that we're kind of as indie authors or authors in general coming at what we do. It's really interesting. Well, Joe and I have uh, AI voices already, and we've, we've yeah. shared episodes of our podcast where it's our AI voices having a conversation. So you don't get the oh, inflection cool. and the humor. However, I did release, when I released the seven P's of publishing success, which is a smaller book, uh, I narrated the audio, which costs like a full six ninety nine US. It's only about sixteen thousand words or whatever. Okay. Um, but then I used an AI voice uh, that I sell for ninety nine cents. And now that I have a Mark Lefave AI voice, I'm probably going to release a Mark Leslie Lefave AI voice version. So Brian, British male, computerized voice, you right. get for ninety nine cents if you only care about the content. Or you can get the Mark Leslie Lefebvre version AI voice for 99 yeah. cents, which I have to work on. It's, it, it does take some work because you got to trick the AI. It right. can't just read the, the text properly. Yeah. Um, and then there's the full version. So the whole idea is that if people only care about the content, not the inflection and the personality, go with the computer version. Sure. Or, well, hey, I'd rather hear this in get that anyway, voice. like in real life. <laughs> so it's like, why, why do I need to listen to it in an audiobook? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's... Uh, the technology and it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. I can imagine. And, and I know Joe's talked about this as well as, well, I want this book, but I want it to be read by, you know, Samuel, uh, <laughs> you Samuel know, Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it's the sweary version. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, like that possibility exists. Now the possibility, now I want to ride the wave like Joe, I want to be there. That's why I want to be there putting my voice out there in a way that I can maybe get some micro payments every time someone wants to use my voice rather than go, Oh, wow. They used my voice. What am I going to do? Right. (laughs) I want to be in control of it. So I want to, I want to be at the forefront. So I've, I think I've signed up with three different AI companies and I'm testing things out because I want to be able to be there and be, uh, be an early adopter when, when that takes a hold. That is super cool. I think it's just fantastic. And it's something that I'm also looking into. I haven't, I've gotten to the point of signing up, but I haven't actually tested them out yet. Mostly because it's just been a little bit hectic this summer with four kids being home. Imagine that, eh? Weird, right? <laughs> so it's like, mm, I can't wait till they can go back. And... Writing books, running a podcast, yeah. raising a family. Just a, just a few things <laughs> going on here, whatever. <laughs> so uh, in my core program, Rapid Release Roadmap, I talk a lot about my... Oh my. Um, 
experiences and I talk to them about, especially when new authors come into my world and they're going, oh my gosh, there's so much to do with the concept of number one, rapid releasing, or just trying to, the way I teach it is trying to have, build a sustainable career where you're trying to release at least four books a year. It's not so much about the, it's not like Michael Onderley rapid releasing necessarily. You know what I mean? Four books a day. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. I don't even know how he does that. It's more about building that sustainable um, author career that keeps moving forward each year and doing that, those things, but it can still to the newbie indie feel like it's a lot of work or a lot of stuff coming at them. And so one of the ways I had pieced or parsed it back was to say, okay, just focus on the one first, you know, obviously to, to do the thing and focus on the one that you're going to probably be earning the most royalties from. However, <laughs> after reading your book, you have changed my mind. So you were saying in here that, you know, obviously a lot of people do say that for me, it was more about, I've seen the, the confusion and the overwhelm and the burnout and then people stopping writing altogether because they think they can't handle yeah. it. Um, but so for me reading this, you, you mentioned in here that, um, you recommend, you know, building that wide mindset straight out of the gate and, but, and doing that by obviously still picking Amazon, if that's, you know, what you think is going to be the lion's share of your stuff, your royalties, but then picking another, um, platform to be able to use. It doesn't have to be necessarily draft to digital or anything like that, but it can be, uh, you know, Kobo or Barnes and Noble or whatever. So what, what sites do you recommend? if authors pick one additional one to, to just try right away, which one would you recommend? I mean, take a, take a look at the market first, depends on what you're writing and, and listening to what, well, other authors who've had experience saying, well, this sells really well on this platform and, right. and you never know, or, or picking the platform, like I'd mentioned earlier, that you're already comfortable with, or you know, so if you're in the U S well, well, Nook is, is big in the U S but it doesn't exist anywhere else. If you're in Canada, maybe you're going to gravitate to Kobo being the other place because, you know, that's where Kobo is probably strongest. Uh, so I think that there, there's that. It, it's always what you're comfortable with. I don't think there's one guaranteed one. If you love algorithms, well, guess what? Google's <laughs> your friend because right. they do no merchandising whatsoever, right? Whereas Nook and Apple and Kobo are a lot more like traditional bookstores where they curate and hand select stuff. So, but I think... The, the idea of picking a couple platforms, you're like, okay, I'm going to learn Amazon, but instead of just biasing all of my learning on a single infrastructure, pick another one. And maybe picking one of the ones like Nook or Apple or Kobo, which is a lot more human curated. So you, you understand, okay, I'm going to game the algorithms over here and <laughs> I'm going to establish relationships with real people over here. And I'm going to understand that there are more than one way uh, of, of getting my book in front of the right people. One of the ways is tricking algorithms and constantly guessing what's going on and how to do that. And the other one is actually trying to maintain authentic relationships with real people <laughs> who may, who may decide. It's really to, interesting to me because when I, obviously as someone who came in right as the Amazon Kindle thing was booming and it was, it was the biggest thing. I think that that's the part, that's the disconnect I've had in the beginning with being wide because I didn't realize that the other platforms did it differently. I felt like it's the digital era, everybody's digital. So there is no people necessarily watching this because it's all computer stuff now, you know what I mean? And yeah. so to, to hear, well, to read your stuff and obviously being in the uh, Wide for the Wind group itself and just kind of watching what's happening in there. I'm more of a lurker because I like, I, I like to absorb information. <laughs> Good. That's but, important. I think I think everyone should absorb as much as they can. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so it's, it's just been really interesting to me to go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much effort and um, like you said, merchandising and curation really goes into it from a human perspective on Kobo, Barnes Noble and Apple. I, I really honestly had no idea until probably even the, the past year has really opened my eyes as I've right. really decided to take eight of my titles and go wide and leave them there. You know what I mean? Right. And so it, that was really fascinating. And I don't think many indie authors realize that part of it. And so I, I really appreciate that you, number one, put it in here and share that because <laughs> I didn't even know that, honestly. So it's weird. Yeah, well, it's not to say that the algorithm they don't have algorithms because they do. I know, for example, because right. I worked at Kobo, is they do a lot of automated things and algorithms and connecting books. Like the also bots exist everywhere. Yeah. But there's also the also bots working in conjunction. It's kind of like the the factory where the they've got you know they're they're manufacturing cars. And in the early days, it was just hand manufacturing and moving things from part. Then they right. automated some of it with robotics, and the yep. others. Yeah. So I think I think there are a lot more like those factories that have human and automation rather than completely automated or completely human driven. And I and I think that allows for some brilliant variances and human biases that are always come into play. Oh yeah. So of course Kobo is probably going to be partial to Canadian authors. Right. Right. And of course Apple's probably going to be partial to people who use only Apple products right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and really love the look of something. It has to be perfectly designed right. in order for it to function effectively. Right. And so really follow their guidelines when it comes to how you use your URL and, <laughs> and yeah, all of those no things. 3D covers. Thank you very much. Right. Yes. That, that kind of stuff, because it just doesn't look right. It's not a good customer experience. Yeah. Um, so understanding those things, I think is, is really important. Very cool. Well, another thing that um, Wide for the Wind inspired in me, which I, I really, obviously, because I'm, I'm still trying to figure out this whole wide situation, how this is going to work for me going forward. You and me and, both. <laughs> right? And so one of the things that, you know, I'm teaching rapid releasing, I'm teaching how to do these four books a year thing, and I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate wide into it. And then I read your book and I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. So you mentioned something about how you could, you know, still use Amazon as a rapid release platform in a sense where you're putting it out even, you know, probably a month apart, two weeks apart, drop it all in one day, I guess, whatever. But you're using the other platforms, Kobo, you know, use draft to digital, whatever you want to do to be able to put your books out as they're finishing. So if you're the kind of author who wants to rapid release a series, let's say, you know, yeah. a month apart, you put them out individually on all those other platforms first, ignoring completely uh, KDP and Amazon in general. And so they're not, it's not even a thing out there until the series is complete. And then you rapid release, obviously keeping it wide <laughs> and, and then it works in, in both kind of favors because don't, um, Kobo and I know Apple really loves new releases. And so you're kind of yep. juicing up those good things, but then also being able to use and leverage the rapid releasing on Amazon. For sure. Yeah. Like all of these traditional booksellers that do the merchandising, they care about front list and they're looking for front list. Well, what are we going to feature that's coming out this week or next week or the next month? Libraries as well. Most of the library systems are focused on front list and they don't even want to see backlist. Sure. Backlist is uh, more than six months old. Yep. Um, so they're, they're always interested in what's coming next. What can we put in front of our most passionate readers? Um, whereas with Am and now you have to be careful because um, I, I know that the retailers hate it, especially when uh, authors who are exclusive, they say, well, I published these books in 2014 and 2015, 2016, and now I'm just going to publish them wide and they all have the same pub date. 
Well, the reality is that book is, was not published in August or September of 2021. That book was originally published in September 2014. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because I can go to Amazon and I can see it was available. So don't lie to us and don't mm-hmm. lie to our customers. Be honest. Yeah. It may be new to this platform, but it was published six years ago. Right. Um, that's not going to hurt you on Amazon. You can put, I think you can put uh, previous pub dates when you publish, but it's only now available. So all the algorithms that love the 30 day cliff and all that stuff uh, will benefit from it. So you don't have to lie to the customers to pretend that it's a new book, yep. but you can leverage that. And that way you can leverage pre-orders. Cause again, none of the other platforms penalize you. If you have to change your pre-order date, there's only one that'll come and kneecap you. If right. you, uh, you yeah. know, they'll knock on the door and then they'll just like take your kneecaps out and then they'll walk away and laugh. Um, and then so you can't publish that's what with it a feels pre-order like for it. another year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so nah, good luck pre-ordering now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Unless you come groveling to us and email us, please do. Yeah. That. yeah. But, but again, this, so that way you can, you can even cut your traps. I've, I've seen authors that actually uh, picked, uh, I saw one author who said, well, I'm just going to release it on uh, Kobo. I'm going to focus on that. And then once I learn how to do things, then I'm going to go release it on the other platform. Right. So, um, yeah, there, there's no one way of doing it. It just depends on, on your comfort level and, and how willing, how much you're willing to experiment too. For sure. Well, I know it's definitely one that I'm going to try in the future. I mean, in the, I'm, it's kind of a struggle because I'm in the middle of a series right now that is, it's doing okay with KU. It's urban fantasy. So it's like, whatever. And I want to be able to try out this new um, strategy. And I've got a, like a pen name that I'm going to be pulling over from Vela and creating it like a completely different series. And I'm thinking I'm going to try this, the wide um, strategy first so that I can put the series out that way and then end up putting it in Kindle at some point whenever it's finished. Yeah. But like, what if, what if you have authors who are like, gosh, I really wish I was wide now. And, but I'm right in the middle, like I'm in, on book three of this series. Would yeah. you recommend like saying whatever and just try it? Or would it be like, no. mm, probably not with the middle. No, of this so he- here's the thing you, you have built a, a base of readers. You have to remember the reader experience, right? Yeah. They're following you. You've built an expectation of release into Kindle unlimited and they can read it in air quotes for free. Uh, it's not free. They're paying a corporation for the privilege of that. Um, but you have to retrain your your readers. You can't just change on them. Right. You can't, if you're releasing them a book a month, you can't just go to six, you know, a book every six months without at least letting them know or warning them that something's coming, right. that you're going to change this or, Hey, you know what? My books are in Kindle unlimited up till now, but I'm going to be going wide in a few months. Grab them now while you can, because you can still read them in two years, right? Once you've left Kindle Unlimited. But from from then on, any of my new releases, um, please check with your local library because you can actually read them for free there. (laughs) Everyone can read them for free, not just Amazon customers or a select group of Amazon customers. So I think that's that's an important aspect to consider. The other thing, uh, I am am an advocate for wide, but I've actually sat down because I do one-on-one consultations with authors. I've sat down, we've looked at their KDP dashboard and we've looked at their KENP uh, sales and I go, yeah, you know what? You better have money in the bank for at least a year because when you take that series out of Kindle Unlimited, you're going to get a dramatic drop in your sales because you're not going to get uh, your page reads. Yep. And chances are you're not going to start earning the same amount of money wide for at least a year sure. and, and, and be prepared for that. So I often advise, well, if you have multiple properties, well, what's earning you the least yep. <laughs> through Kindle Unlimited page reads? Yep. Start with that and that's <laughs> because you're not I making did. money went, anyways. Right? Yeah, I went through the, the catalog and tried to figure out, okay, well, these ones they're earning, but they're not earning as good as the newer ones that have yeah. gone into KU or whatever. 
So I've moved them over and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to start experimenting with how to really do this yeah. properly wide. And so it's, it's been, the, I'm really more in the learning mode than I am the implementation mode. Although I do have right. my first uh, Kobo promotion happening next week. So I'm very excited. Oh, about that's that. exciting. Labor Day uh, we, uh, promo? Or... What was that? Is it a Labor Day promo or? No, I don't think so. Maybe it is. It's like, the, no, it's the free sci-fi, YA sci-fi oh, cool. something. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So thank you. I'm very excited about it. Make sure your like, metadata is all lined up so that they can get into book two, book three. You know. Hopefully, I think it is. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Just it make is. sure it's clean. Okay. Because Kobo will automatically link them on the item pages for you. You'll be okay. able to tell if it's good I will. Not. I will double check that. But I'm yeah. pretty sure it is. I mean, I, I, I did it all individually, so... Now I'm like, oh gosh, do I have to? I'll check it. I'll check it. Double checking, because because then then they do have systematic things where they will people who've uh, started reading the book then they'll they send automated emails that say, hey, did you know book two is available? And they do it based on all these weird backend algorithms that nobody can predict. Okay, (laughs) but uh, you know, help the systems help you, right? For sure, for sure. Well, see, these are the things where it's like it's really helpful to know that. Like I didn't even realize until talking to Liza and and being in that wide for the win group that um, there there was even a, a promotions tab inside Kobo. Like I had no idea that that was a thing or in Barnes and Noble that they have their own promotions tab. This so that special promo tab that not everyone gets that you have. Right. To ask. Yeah. Right. And it was yeah. like, wait a minute, what's happening here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what exactly. is this? And so it was, uh, it was definitely Liza's push that she was like, you need to go do these things. Okay. And I, <laughs> I actually started with Kobo. I have I have the dashboards for Barnes and Noble and Apple, but I haven't, I haven't done anything with those two yet. There's everything's still in draft digital for the other ones, but Kobo. Oh, I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm close enough. I'm in Minnesota, right? Oh go. gosh. Okay. So obviously uh, you work part-time for draft digital. So you don't have a problem with aggregators or distributors. <laughs> Uh, what is the difference between both of those? They they kind of are interchangeable in my world, but Some, somewhat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I know that there are some sites that you recommend going native with, and I think I just touched on them. So, do you want to say which ones you think are the best to go native with? Well, honestly, it's a personal decision, and, and I, I honestly think it's up to each author to decide because it's not just oh, if I go direct, I make ten percent more. Sure. Or, or um, you know, for example, and obviously I'm biased towards draft to digital, but I use almost all of the aggregators and distributors out there in one way, shape, or form. I always have. Yep. Um, is that sometimes it may be better to go through a distributor if the distributor has better promotion opportunities uh, mm-hmm. or not. Uh, other times it's like, well, my virtual assistant, I don't want, it's a violation of Amazon's terms of service to actually give them my KDP login. Right. And and Kobo doesn't have a way to do that. So if I wanted to have secure support, uh, you know, I know Apple has this and Nook has this. Uh, Amazon doesn't. Kobo doesn't. Draft to digital does. Uh, there are different tools and opportunities. Like payment splitting is is another example. Obviously, I'm going to be very positively biased towards Draft to digital. Personally, uh, I I use uh, Kindle Direct Publishing directly. Yep. Um, except when I'm doing payment splitting for draft to digital or anything right. that it, it makes my life so much easier. Who cares of the 10%? Oh, um, yeah. yep. I go direct to Kobo most of the time. Again, uh, I created the platform, so I'm a little biased towards that. And, and again, you, they prefer promos. Nook is very heavy handed and says, well, we're not going to help you unless you're direct like Kobo does. So that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense for me. Honestly, it's too little too late to this Canadian who couldn't get in the system and then it took forever to get anything useful done. I'm like, I'm done. I don't have patience for you people uh, anymore. And I and, and again, I think it's romance heavy handed there. So I'm like, 
I'm good just going through a distributor to get to you guys. <laughs> because who knows what you're going to do? You backed out of the UK. Who knows what you're up to? I'm not going to waste. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't mean to be. And, and, and I do want people to be open-minded and I want Nook to be successful. I want BNN to, to be around. I really do. Right. Yep. Uh, I go direct to Google. Uh, you can use a distributor uh, for Google, but why? You have to have a direct account anyways in order to use a distributor. So if you have one, use yep. it. There's yep. some really sexy tools there. Um, and then I typically use Drafted Digital, Smashwords, Publish Drive, Street Lib to get into all the other places that I can. But again, it's up to you as an author. How much time do you have? Do you have time to log into eight different places? Um, and so it's really a personal decision. And that, that may be why you start with one or two, get used to it, get comfortable. And then once you've built a routine and, and or you have a virtual assistant to help you, then it's like, oh, well, who cares? I'm, I'm paying someone to do this. Right. Um, but, you know, when you do a price promo, it's like, oh, my God, I got to log into five different systems to go and change my prices. <laughs> right. And true. some of them don't let you schedule price changes. Yep. Um, Amazon, I think, is the only one that doesn't let you schedule price changes. So I can say, hey, I've got a promo coming up Thanksgiving weekend. I'm going to yep. set it now and not forget about it because you don't forget about it. But I don't have to sit there at midnight and go, okay, I hope it changes to 99 cents on time. <laughs> right. uh, so that, that's a that benefit. fear that they won't do it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's one of the benefits uh, of, of some of the direct platforms or some of the distributors that allow for that. That's cool. So. Okay. Well, now I realize this is kind of a, a loaded question and we've covered a lot here, but for the newbie authors who are brand new to this whole concept, what is the best advice for just getting started? Like when they, they're brand new, they're, they don't even know where to turn quite yet. Maybe this is their first introduction to wide. What would you recommend they do? Um, be, go easy on yourself. Um, I've always long said uh, patience, practice, and persistence. Um, it's, it's not going to be easy. You're going to see these stories of these seven, six and seven figure authors. And you're going to go, but I only sold a book this month or I haven't sold a book yet. Or I only sold a hundred. I have a lot of authors come to me and go, I only sold a hundred books this week. And I said, do you realize you're in the 1% already? Right. That most people don't sell any books ever, period. That's the reality of the situation. So I think authors are tough on themselves. They, they don't apply enough patience and they don't uh, apply enough persistence to keep at it. You can't just publish books and expect them to sell overnight. Um, on the wide platforms, it can take it's an average of nine months before you get any traction. And going in and out is the worst thing you can do. Commit. Be dedicated to being exclusive or be dedicated to being wide. The more wishy-washy you are, the more in and out like a yo-yo you are, you're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing the customers on those platforms any favors. And you're definitely not doing the retailers any favors. Because you, you're you're setting yourself up as an unpredictable mess, rather than sure. somebody who's actually committed to this. Think about that in the relationship, right? When you're dating someone and they just don't show up one day, and you're expecting, like, we're supposed right. to go on a date. No, I, I decided I'm going to be exclusive to this other, right? Like, or or whatever. So yeah. that's the kind of thing. And 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 guess what? Some of the some of the platforms pay attention to the fickleness. It's like, well, do we want to? Do we want to waste time doing a promo with this fickle author who we're not sure is going to be there in two months because right. they're going to go back to exclusive? Or do we go with um, the author that has always had their books here and always will? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that totally makes sense. To yeah. Well, it's that, that's a component of it. Like truly that I don't think many authors realize. I mean, when I was trying to list AIM last year, I, I had a mentor who literally told you that this is how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to be in, you know, wide, obviously to be able to list aim. And then 
once the week was up, pull it and put it into KU. And so it's like, when you follow recommendations and you look back at it and you're like, why, you know, like, why was that the thing? Like, it's not like it had like a huge bonus effect to anything. And it's like, I look back and go, why, why would they recommend that sort of thing? But that's like, that's like dating advice saying, Hey, I want to attract this person over here. I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to use, I'm going to use another person and play on their emotions in order to get something I want over there. That's, I mean, maybe it works, but I, I like to think about, I like to operate with a little bit of integrity and uh, respect for the, the people involved. I mean, really, you're setting up those readers with expectation and then you're just going to leave them high and dry. Right. That's, that's a tough thing to do unless you're clear about it and say, hey, this book's coming down. You want to get it on Kobo or Apple or whatever. You better get it now. So right. long as you're, if you're clear with those expectations, it makes it a little bit easier, but that's like saying, yeah. Hey, I'm just using you. We're going to, we're going to fool around a little bit. And then I'm going to take off over in this direction. <laughs> like, like, right. I was pretty remember, clear. Yeah. yeah that's, she, that's, she, that's what you've built. <laughs> she did have us be very clear, like that. It's going to be only available. You know, I mean, it's up for pre-order for almost the whole yeah. year, but it was only going to be available up until X date. So like there was a lot of promotion around it's only until yeah. X date, but. And I think, yeah, the, the clarity there is, is good. So there's integrity there, but I also, but then I worry about, well, what does that, what does that teach you that yeah. it's okay to just use other people yeah. for your own benefit? And, and that's what I think a lot of digital publishing is as well. It's just, it's just algorithms. There's no, yeah. there's no people whose jobs are on the line here. Uh, there's no, <laughs> they have no feelings. Right. Well, and it's, it's so easy. Cause when you're, when you're trained that it, it's just Amazon, it's like, you know, there's not someone going, Oh yeah, we really want, you know, Mark's books to be the best. So we're going to like, when you know, it's not that, then it's like, it's hard to think there's actually people on the other end of any of the other platforms. It really is. It's super weird. <laughs> and it's like, what a light bulb moment. I think at least I had where I was like, that makes total sense. And especially when you were talking about how like the rest of those platforms are, were all based in like the real book selling industry. So that's of course going to be the mentality that they're going to be, you know, dragging with them. <laughs> it does yeah, make yeah, sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mer- merchandising. They think of it as like, well, what books are in our virtual front window? What books are in the main aisles? Right. What right. are the books we're going to try to spotlight and feature uh, as opposed to just all of the ones that are spined <laughs> on yep. the shelves? Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's not all that different, right? The relationships you have I, as a bookseller, if I had met an author and they were not a jerk uh, and they had an interesting anecdote they shared with me, do you know how many hundreds of times I would use that when talking to a customer and putting that book in the customer's hands? Now I know it doesn't happen digitally in the same way, but you know, be a, you know, Joanna Penn got into a massive promo on Kobo where Kobo paid her money for, to write stories for, for release that she later got the rights back to anyways. Yeah. Um, and it was only because of that serendipity of going, hey, we need someone who who likes Dan Brown kind of stuff and is willing to write short fiction and is and is experimental and owns their own IP. And you're like, well, right. I know someone. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's that same sort of thing. You never know. The serendipity can happen at any time. Uh, you just have to you have to be available. You can't be hiding in another room in, in exclusivity in order for that to happen. <laughs> I totally get that one. And I, I I get too like the whole concept of like when, when you have that human curation, I mean, when I was a bookseller that there were so many times where if it, it was a book I've actually read and someone was like, I'm really looking for a book that has X, Y, Z. And it's like, Oh, I know exactly what you need. You need yeah. this book that I just read. Here's this really cool thing. And there could have been a hundred different books on that shelf that were the same sort of thing. But because I personally didn't know, <laughs> I yeah. gave them the one that I read, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, so, and that that, that is, uh, I mean, I guess people who've never worked in the industry don't recognize. And 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 when you put that book in that person's hand, that's kind of like um, getting a bookbub deal. Like it's the equivalent right? of a bookbub yeah. deal because yeah. suddenly that that customer doesn't just have this book, but I have a personal recommendation from Carissa who 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 loved this book. And I could see the glow in her eyes when she talked about how this book resonated with her. And when I come back to the bookstore next week and I tell her how much I loved it, she's going to help me find something else. Right. Like those right. are the things that, uh, that that's where the true magic happens. And it's hard to measure in an algorithm. And it's also why I miss bookstores so much. <laughs> we don't have, we have none up here. There's, it's so terrible. I have to drive almost two hours to get to the nearest bookstore. Oh my well, goodness. Big so you, when you get in there, you, well, you know, uh, provided everyone's vaccinated or whatever, they give them a big hug. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining the Author Revolution podcast. This has been a real treat. And I'm so glad that you said yes when Liza was poking you. I have no idea what she said, but I'm so glad you said yes. Well, I bribed her to get on your podcast. Oh, thank God. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So for those who now are like, oh my gosh, this guy's super cool. Where do I find him? How, where do they find you in your online space and your podcast and all the good fun stuff? You can find everything you want to know about me and many things you don't want to know about me over at marklesley.ca. There's links to my podcast, all of my crazy social media, all the fun things there. Awesome. And I highly recommend the podcast. There are some really interesting tidbits out there. I've listened to, I think about four or five already just this week. And Thank some you. of them where I'm like, oh man, he, he's going to hate me as an author. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like I didn't, a know, I didn't know any of this. What? <laughs> No, that's good. I'm glad. No, but I'm glad that the reason I'm doing it is I'm learning still about the industry and I want to just share yeah. the stuff I'm continuing to learn as, as I struggle my way through this. That's awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate that you are sharing it. Cause like I said, there's so many different things that you you've talked about, whether it's in your books or whether it's on the podcast that I, I'm like, I have never looked at it that way before, which is really, you know, in some of the t- times it's like, I should have because of the background, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, why did I never, why did I never think of it like that? And it's like, you're, you get so like entrenched in like whatever thing you're trying to do or the, the people you're trusting at the time. And, and then you don't pay attention. I don't know. Or don't trust your own gut. I, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a strange one. And that's why, you know, taking in information from as many different sources as you can, and then figuring out, well, how am I going to adapt this to me Yep. and what works for me? That's the, that's the biggest challenge is just going, okay. Cause when you don't know much, uh, it, it's kind of like when, when you don't know something, uh, it's harder on the people around you because you right. don't understand something. It, yep. it, it's one of the things that sometimes when you start to learn a little bit, you realize just how much you don't know. Yep. I've been in the industry since 92 and I, I don't know so much. Right. <laughs> so much I don't know. Because Is it, it's, isn't it's that a, a saying too? The more you learn, the less you know. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like that, which yeah. is why I have to keep keep taking information and listening to, to as many sources as I can to try and figure this thing out. Yep. And it's like all, extrapolating all the information from all the different sources and trying to figure out where they overlap and going, okay, there's the truth. <laughs> and then pulling yeah, that somewhere one, in like, there. It's this gray yep. area. I, right? It's so weird. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you again. Like I said, I'm so glad that you, you said yes and, and came on the podcast and I'm, I'm glad she was able to <laughs> coerce you. I was going to fill out the form. I'm like, should I fill out the form? And she's like, no, no, I got this. <laughs> I got this. I got this. Well, thank you, Carissa. I appreciate it. It was so wonderful to get to chat with you. Yeah, it was nice to get to meet you. And I'm so glad that you are now in my sphere of people that I, I can uh, trust to learn more about being wide. Awesome. <laughs> Wasn't that a fun episode? 
Mark is one of those kind of guys that makes it totally easy to chat and just hang out and talk books. <laughs> now, I hope you got as many wonderful tidbits from him as I did, and I really do encourage you to go out and read his book, Wide for the Win, as well as, obviously, some of his other fantastic books. I know I am definitely going to be reading Killing It on Kobo next. Now, I'll make sure to list everything we talked about in today's episode in the show notes, so just head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 97 if you want quick links out to the things like Wide for the Winds Facebook group or Mark's website, Podcast and Books. Well, my author revolutionary, that is all we have for this week. Go forth and start your author revolution. This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people, Daphne Garrison, Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality. In order to continue providing the quality content you've come to know and love, I would appreciate your support. As a one-woman show, the podcast takes a lot of time away from other tasks like writing. <laughs> Plus, your support also makes this mompreneur's heart smile. Head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon.